This is True Crime Exposed, and I'm your host, Kayla Waters. I'm glad you're joining our co-host, Alicia Jenkins, each week to listen to my new case deep dives. I started this show to give victim stories exposure, and by doing that, we can expose the monsters lurking all around us. third installation on a three-part series on Fred and Rose West. So if you haven't listened to part one and part two, you're going to be very confused. Make sure to jump back a couple episodes and start from the beginning. With that, are you ready for today's case? I thought this would be funny to bring up on here because I feel like everybody, I, every single person in this country, I feel like watches Yellowstone. Aren't you the one who told us to watch it? Jacob, through episode one at least, was unbearable to watch with. We just started it. He like said that he purposely didn't watch it all of this time because he knew it was going to bug him if things were wrong. And then I was like, well, you just need to not pay attention. Like, just think of it as a show. And he's like, do you have no pride that it says Yellowstone on there? Like, it sh- they should make things like seem real. He notices things you would never notice, like the guy's coat being clean. See how new his coat is? It wouldn't be that clean if he's a rancher. He noticed in the first episode that the truck was not a diesel and that it was a gas. And he was like, there is no rancher on this planet that would buy a gas truck. That is never going to (laughs) happen. I was like, how can you even tell if that's not a gas truck, if that's not a diesel truck? It was just so funny. Well... I think people like it more for the storylines. That hour and a half, like the first episode was an hour and a half. It took us four hours to watch because he kept pausing to complain. But he's doing better in the second because they put, he was like, could they not just put a Cummins badge on that truck and pretend it's a diesel? And so then in the second one, they do, I guess. And he's like, oh, they listened to me. They heard me. I'm glad. They they need to consult him, I guess, from here on out. (laughs) literally he was like he's lived on a ranch (laughs) (laughs) okay the funny thing in our bonus episode that we did you know how we were talking about close to the chest close to the vest yes (laughs) oh my gosh I've never heard it before I've heard it like 50 times now (laughs) so well I was talking to Shannon and I was like yeah, have you heard the saying close to the chest or close to the vest? <laughs> and he's like, it's close to the chest because, like, when people play poker, like, you're keeping your cards close to the chest. And so that's, like, where the saying came from. <laughs> And then, but then I was watching a report on the Idaho murders this morning. And the guy's like, yeah, the police, they're just keeping it close to the vest. Oh, see? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh my gosh, that's funny. Now you I probably know. have heard it in your life but never paid attention to it being a I thing. I know, right? And then like, now you're okay. hearing it everywhere. Yeah. 
All right, so we have made it to our third and final part. This is part three of the 12 victims of Fred and Rose West. In part two, we discussed all of Fred and Rose's children and the horror that they went through in childhood. This ends with their oldest child that they share together being murdered, and this is Heather West. And since we talked about the children in that episode, I wanted to talk about her murder, but Heather's murder is actually their last known murder. So we've already gone over Heather's murder, but she is their last known victim yeah shannon listened yeah. to the episodes and he has he's just been commenting on how does he cannot stand fred and he's like i am having nightmares <laughs> over this podcast because it's so disgusting oh i know it really is sorry shannon that we're giving you nightmares i know he called me and was and like anyone I am else. he's like i'm so disturbed by this dude i'm like me too honestly i didn't know the full extent of it till i got into it yeah and I told him, I was like, this is what I was researching at your house when I was, like, down for three days writing on my computer. I was like, this is it. This nasty, nasty couple. No wonder why you were in a bad mood. You were in a bad mood. <laughs> <laughs> we just can't be around each other for more than, like, once we're together in the same house for over four days, I think it just starts, we start to get on each other's nerves. <laughs> Because you think you're in charge of me. Because <laughs> I think that and was I think day I'm five. In of you. And we were just both like. Because I'm the mom. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we just, our max together is three to four if we're living under the same roof. Yes. <laughs> three to four days at a time. Uh, I think that's probably like that for most families. Really? From what I, from what my clients tell me and stuff, everyone needs like a healthy dose of their family, but not too much. Oh, are you? Have you been complaining about me? I haven't. <laughs> People <laughs> just tell me all of their life things. Oh, that's funny. But yeah, maybe it partly was this case just getting me in a bad mood. Yeah. Having to hear about this, these nasty people. So yeah. Through this, keep in mind that the incidents we are discussing today were occurring throughout all the years we discussed in part two. So, like, Fred and Rose were assaulting and murdering young girls while they raised their children. Because we kind of went through all those years as they raised their kids, but I didn't mention that through all of that, they're killing women. Like, that, yeah, that came to their To their house, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and I did mention at the end of the last episode that their killing spree starts off with the assault of Caroline Owens. Now, we know they have killed before, but those killings were more along the line of domestic violence murders. It was like people who were connected to them. And those murders are not any less horrific, but when I say Caroline's assault starts this killing spree, it's the spree of like sexual sadistic murders, and it seems to have ended when they circle back around to more of a domestic violence assault on their daughter Heather but nobody knows this right like yeah like their kids and everything don't know any of this like their kids always thought they were weird and I think it's weird for people when they look at something like this like how could their kids have not known like the older kids who are adults you know and it's like well I just I don't think people's first thought is that the weird person in their life that they know is a serial killer. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I wouldn't expect them to know if they didn't know that the people were coming to the house for that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, I think they did see a lot of that stuff, and I think they knew their parents were one-off, but they just 
couldn't have ever expected this is what was going on. Yeah. So Caroline Owens is 17 years old when she's hired by Fred and Rose to be their nanny. And she had been visiting her boyfriend one day. And to get home, she decides to hitchhike. Well, Fred and Rose spot the teenager and take this as their opportunity to lure her to their home so that they can start grooming her. When Caroline hops into their car, she tells them where her home is and she's just making conversation, talking about how her stepdad is always on her nerves, so she's looking for a job to get her out of the house more often. The couple acts really interested in Caroline's grievances with her stepdad and they're like, gee, I'm so sorry that you're going through that. I think we have a solution. Why don't you come work for us? You can live in our home. We've got a bunch of children and we're thinking you can be our nanny. So Caroline says she'll think about it. She's going to have to talk to her parents. And Fred and Rose reassure her that every single Tuesday, they will drive her home for a visit with her own family. Fred and Rose even meet Caroline's parents who felt comfortable with the idea. And they're excited that their daughter has this job opportunity. So she makes the move to 25 Cromwell Street. And Caroline is sharing a room with Anne Marie. And soon she's actually feeling pretty uncomfortable. Rose had explained to Caroline and her family that she worked as a massage therapist. But Caroline isn't stupid, and when she moves in, she can see that Rose is actually conducting sex work inside of the family home. She's not super loving this environment, but it's not affecting her either. So she continues nannying the kids. But Rose starts making some odd comments and placing her hand on Caroline for far too long. Caroline's wondering, like, is this woman like coming on to me and she's right it's a little odd for caroline rose is coming on to her but caroline has absolutely no interest in this and now it's time to leave because things have crossed the line how old did you say she was 17 yeah which okay i don't know honestly how old rose is but she's young let's see when is it oh it's 1972 I can't remember when I said Rose was born, but she's like in her, like she's either 18, 19 or 20 because they end up killing someone here in a bit who's 21. And it's mentioned in May's book that, that, that she's just a little older than her mom. So when things start, you know, they're young. The, well, Rose is. Fred's 10 years older than her. Yeah. So this is, this story is... After the family murders or before, like before her stepdaughter. So this is after. After all those. Yeah, this is after. Rose was like 16 or 17 when she, she was 16 when she gave birth to Heather. And then she murdered Charmaine soon after that. So Rose was only about, you know, she was still a teenager when she is part of Charmaine's murder. So this is all after. I didn't realize that. Yeah, she was really young. Only 16 when she had Heather. Yeah. By the time they're like married and they move into the Cromwell Street, Rose is only like 18, 19. And then all of this starts. But how many kids does she have if she's nanny? By 1972, I don't remember what I said in the last episode. I said when they were all born, but um, she had at least had Anne-Marie, Heather, and May. So she at least had three. But I don't think, like, they obviously don't need a nanny. That's just their, like, guys to get girls into the home. Yeah. 
So once Caroline decides that things have crossed the line, she informs the West that she will be resigning from her job as their nanny and returning to her family's home. And they're actually pissed with how suddenly she had left, so they devise an evil plan. Since they had picked her up before, they knew it was common for Caroline to hitchhike along the A40. This is a road that runs between Cinderford and Tewksbury. So Fred and Rose start regularly driving this area until they spot who they're looking for on December 6th, 1972. It's Caroline standing there with her thumb up asking for a ride. But when it's Fred and Rose who pull up behind her, her heart skips a beat. She calms down a little when the couple starts apologizing profusely like, we are so sorry we made you uncomfortable. We totally never meant to scare you. We will give you a ride home if you want. Like, we just want to say we're sorry. So Caroline reluctantly agrees, jumping into the back seat with Rose, who said she wanted to have some girl chat on the way. But instead, Rose starts to touch her inappropriately. Caroline is like, what the hell? Back off. I've made it clear I don't want to do this. And Fred will later admit that his intent was to rape and murder Caroline when he picked her up and they abduct her. And he had an inkling Rose would join him, but he wanted to see how willing she really was to go along with it. Clearly, Rose is actively participating when she's immediately molesting Caroline. And when the young girl rejects Rose, Fred yanks his car to the side of the road, slamming on his brakes and screaming at Caroline about what a bitch she is. He gets out of his driver's side door and comes face to face with Caroline, who he punches, knocking her unconscious. Jeez. It's scary. So when she's unconscious, Rose takes off her scarf and she gags Caroline with it and then uses duct tape to bind her wrists and her ankles. Then they drive Caroline to their home on 25 Cromwell Street. Caroline comes to locked up in the upstairs bedroom that Rose uses for her sex work. Caroline is trying to scream. She's fighting Fred and Rose, but Rose grabs a pillow and places it over Caroline's face. The couple is holding the pillow so tightly around her head that Caroline can feel it crushing her neck, while Rose removes her clothing and starts performing oral sex on Caroline against her will. And this, again, is a scary situation. Caroline realizes that she could likely die here, so she stops resisting. She is enduring sadistic sexual torture. Her genital area had been beaten with a belt by Fred. She was raped repeatedly through the night. When the morning rolls around, Caroline is awakened by one of Fred and Rose's children who's knocking on the door, and she starts screaming for help. But she's instantly shut down by Fred, who tells her that he will lock her in the cellar if she continues this, and he will, quote, allow all his black friends to abuse her. So that's a crappy thing to say because he's meaning that in like a bad way yeah like that that would not be a good thing so he's obviously a little bit racist which is ironic since a few of his kids are indeed half black oh my because they're not really his kids but he continues on telling caroline that when everyone is done with her he will bury her body below the paving stones in town and she will never be found he tells her that he's killed hundreds of young girls and that she should fear him. He screams, you are here for Rose's pleasure, so stop screaming, stop resisting, and just let it go. And at some point during the kidnapping, Fred asks Caroline, like after this whole thing, like he's threatening her, they've done all this horrible stuff to her. And then when things kind of calm down, he literally asks Caroline if she'd be okay with moving back into their home to be a nanny for them again. Oh my gosh. 
which is was like, it really for Rose's pleasure or some of the people who will see testify later do say that Rose was more sadistic than Fred. Oh, I think oh. Rose plays a huge part. She's a lot like Myra Hinley in that coverage we did where she's like, oh, like I'm the victim. Like I just had like a really, you know, Myra was like, oh, I just had this abusive boyfriend and I just went along with him. Like, that's why I killed these kids. But then, you know, remember, we could hear Myra on that tape where she's like actively participating. This is how Rose is. She tries to like distance herself, but she was like very involved. And the people who survived their attacks testify to the fact that Rose was weirdo. It was often for Rose. Yeah. And he's a complete idiot to ask this question or think that anyone would answer him honestly after they literally like kidnapped this girl and abused her. But Caroline sees like her out. So she's like, yeah, absolutely. Like I will come back and nanny for you. Not a problem. Let's do this. Of course, she doesn't mean this. She can just feel the danger she's in and she's trying to appease her captors. So they let her free in the house to do her nannying chores that day. Caroline vacuums the home and she gathers up the laundry, getting ready to take it to the laundrette with Rose, which a laundrette is what we would call in the United States a laundromat, where you go and do your Mm -hmm. laundry. Soon they leave the home and when they arrive at the laundrette, Caroline makes her break for it. They go inside, but when she has the chance, she escapes and she gets home as quickly as she can. At first, she doesn't mention what happened to her mom, but her mom can see something had gone very wrong that night. She's asking Caroline about the bruises and the welts all over her body, and eventually tears start flowing down Caroline's face, and she confides in her mom about what she had endured. It's one of the most heartbreaking things a mother could hear, and she goes full mama on these people. There is no way she's letting them get away with it without answering to what they had done. So immediately she calls the police and she reports what had happened. Fred and Rose are arrested and charged with assault, indecent assault, actual bodily harm, and rape. In the case, it goes to trial on January 12th, 1973. It's held at the Gloucester Magistrates Court, but ultimately the charges are dropped because Caroline is too fearful to testify. She wanted to, but she just couldn't bring herself to face them. So the case collapses, and instead of being charged, like, instead of going through the trial, the couple is offered a plea deal to reduce charges of indecent assault and causing actual bodily harm. The punishment they receive is a literal joke. They are fined. That's all. That's it. They're given a fine. Was this um, before they went to jail? Remember how you were talking how they went to jail for, or is this the same one? No, the the other time I talked was like when they're caught in the very end, when all the bodies are uncovered, that one. No, I thought you said they like went for assault, like they tried to assault someone in the house and she got away. Well, that's this. I mentioned it at the end of the last one. And then besides that, Fred was arrested for the rape of his daughter but they, none of the kids would testify, so then those got dropped. Okay. But they still had kept the children. Yeah, so Fred, and this is before that. This is before. So this is like their first charge, really? This is their first arrest, yeah. Okay. So, and they literally just get a fine. 
Caroline is so devastated by the outcome. So when she learns of their punishment, she tries to take her own life. But thankfully, she was unsuccessful and her family has tried to lift her up and support her as she worked through this trauma. Later on, when Fred and Rose are arrested for all the murders, Caroline feels a sense of guilt, almost like if she had testified, they wouldn't have been able to kill. But it's not her fault. It doesn't matter what she had done. I'm sure their punishment would have been minimal regardless. Like if they were only fined, I'm sure they wouldn't have spent much time in jail, if any, if she did testify and the duo would still have gone on to commit a series of murders. Yeah. Carol does later on testify in Rose's trial, speaking to the fact that these were not just Fred's crimes. She shows that Rose was actively involved. In fact, like I said, she said Rose was the most violent during the assault. Both Fred and Rose are sexually sadistic monsters. And after Caroline goes free, it seems that they decided they would never let another victim free. They wouldn't chance having charges brought against them again. It's only four months later in April of 1973 that the West meet and murder Linda Go. There are conflicting reports on her age at the time. Like many reports say she was 19 while other sources say she was 21. And it's in Mae West's book that she states Linda was 21. So I'm just going to go what's in her book because I would assume she's closer to this case than most. Mm-hmm. So, Linda had been raised in Gloucester and was working as a seamstress. She had met Fred and Rose through visiting her friends that were lodging in the West home. And eventually, Linda wants to move out on her own, so she herself starts renting a room in the home on April 19, 1973. It's not long after Linda moves in that she is murdered. Initially, she had gotten close with Rose and the two start a sexual relationship. Soon after that, she gets into a sexual relationship with Fred as well. And though this may have started out consensual, it turns dangerous. Linda likely died of strangulation or suffocation after spending multiple days tied up and tortured in the basement of the West home. It's theorized that at some point, Linda was probably suspended from the ceiling. Fred had carved holes into these wooden beams that ran across the ceiling of their cellar, and he would use these holes to suspend his victims. So Mm. they used their cellar almost like a torture. Yeah, a torture chamber. Yeah, yeah. It's scary. And when her body is uncovered, investigators determine that she was dismembered, and like many of the other victims, she is missing some bones. Five cervical vertebrae, her kneecap, and multiple finger bones all remain missing. Her jaw is wrapped in adhesive and surgical tape. There are two small tubes found in her navel cavities, which, remember, Rena was found with these as well. It's theorized that when Fred and Rose wrapped their victims' heads, they would put two small tubes up their nose that would come out of the tape, allowing them to breathe. So it's almost like their whole head was wrapped up except these two nose holes. Before they died? Yeah. And then they put these tubes in there so they could breathe. So, Linda is found buried under the garage of the home in an inspection pit. Later on, Fred converts this area of the home into a bathroom. Linda's mom later testifies at Rose's trial and says that she came to the West home since she knew Linda was renting a room there. She hadn't been able to get in touch with Linda, so she's worried. But Rose is like, nope, sorry, she's not here. In fact, she hit one of our kids like the day after she moved in. So we told her she had to leave. 
And Linda's mom wouldn't have any reason to not believe Rose, except for the fact that Rose is literally wearing her daughter's slippers. She knows those are Linda's, and she can also see Linda's clothes hanging on like a line to dry. So if Linda had left, wouldn't she have taken her belongings? And Rose did do this. When Fred confessed to these murders, he had gone back and forth a bit. First, he says it was all him. Later, he admits to more of Rose's involvement. But he does make the comment, quote, She's wearing the girl's shoes and she'd killed her for F's sake and her dressing gown. She said, I washed it. And I said, effing hell, what are you? But that's just his quote. Again, like I say later, I don't really believe anything Fred says, but I'm sure there's bits and pieces. Yeah. This is probably true. He just like, we know he's a pathological liar. He's all over the place with his confessions, but this does tie into Linda's mom's testimony that she did see Rose wearing her daughter's clothes. Okay. So yeah, she doesn't believe Rose, but there's really not much she can do. Seven months after Linda is killed, the West abduct Carol Ann Cooper on November 10th, 1973. Carol, who was also nicknamed Kaz, was born in Bedfordshire and had been raised in Worcester, but her mom gets divorced when Carol is 13 years old. With this divorce, her mom doesn't feel like she can take care of Carol any longer, so she places her into care at Pine's children's home. And honestly, this has to be super traumatizing for any child to literally be given away by the parents who raised you your whole life. Like, sorry, goodbye, you're going to this kid's home. But that happens a lot in this case. Yeah. So I feel like it was almost like a more normal thing because we'll see many of the victims lived in children's homes. So are they? They're obviously targeting yeah, I was people say, who are, are just... more vulnerable. Yeah targeting that population not all of them were reported missing or like not all of them had these big searches some of them did but not all of them do and just so many of them aren't living with their own family or they've ran away and stuff like that so yeah they're definitely targeting people who are more vulnerable But Carol, she was able to stay in touch with her family while in this children's home, and she would often visit her grandma. So one weekend, the home tells her that she can go stay at her grandma's for the weekend. She's stoked, so she makes these plans to also see her boyfriend. So after going to the doctor's, one of the days she's out, her grandma says that Carol can go see a movie with this boyfriend of hers. But Carol never returns home that night. The West Mercer police officers take a missing persons report from Carol's grandma and they do start searching for her, but they have no luck. It's not until Carol's remains are found in 1994 that her family finds out what she had been through. She had been waiting to catch a bus back to her grandma's at a bus stop in Warnden. It's theorized that she was dragged unwillingly into Fred's car where the couple wrapped her face in surgical tape and bound her arms with braiding cloth before driving her back to their home. It's suspected that Carol was also suspended from the beams in the ceiling, like many of the other victims had been. She was tortured and abused both physically and sexually before her murder. She likely died of strangulation or asphyxiation. Carol was dismembered before being buried in the cellar of Fred and Rose's home. She was only 15 years old. Sad. I know. So sad. And according to the investigation, each victim is tortured worse than the victims that came before them. 
So Fred and Rose escalated their brutality with each murder. Like they were almost having to do more to satisfy this need to kill. How do you get like that? Literally, I don't know. So just two months after Carol's murder, 21-year-old Lucy Catherine Partington is kidnapped on December 20th, 1973. She's sitting at a bus stop and it's around 10 p.m. at night. It said that Lucy was either coming home from visiting a friend or she was headed home for Christmas. Lucy was born on March 4th, 1952 in St. Albans, and then she later moves to Bishop's Cleve. She was a smart and talented girl who many people described as very clever. Lucy was attending Exeter University studying medieval English. Just before this, Lucy had converted to Catholicism and seemed excited about her future. So it's not typical of Lucy to just disappear. She's a responsible woman and she doesn't So when she doesn't come home, her mom knows something is wrong. She quickly reports her daughter is missing and there is a large search conducted. No one has closure until 21 years later when Lucy's remains are discovered buried beneath the cellar of the West Home at 25 Cromwell Street. Four months after Lucy is killed, Therese Siegenthaler is hitchhiking to Ireland for a visit with her friends. It was Easter in 1974 when Fred offers her a ride. But instead of taking her towards her destination, Fred later says he was bringing her to his home for a sexual experiment, but that this experiment just accidentally goes wrong and that's how she dies. Again, Fred, pathological liar, confessions are all over the place. I, he was probably bringing her home for a sexual experiment, but with the intent to kill her. Therese was 21 years old when she's abducted and she was originally born in Switzerland. At age 11, she had moved to England following her parents' divorce. At the time of her disappearance, she was a Swiss sociology student. And aside from her studies, she would work weekends in a ballet shoe shop. She's described as a tiny woman with dark blonde hair color. And her friends knew her to hitchhike, so they must have warned her about it because they remember her telling them that she could take care of herself. Therese is reported missing, and although police investigate her disappearance for years, they just can't seem to grasp any leads. Therese was decapitated before being buried in the cellar. Fred later builds a fake chimney over her grave. Seven months later, Fred and Rose claim their youngest victim. Shirley Hubbard was 15 years old when Fred and Rose West abduct her, sexually assault her, and murder her. So we know there's other 15-year-olds killed, but she must you know, have been the youngest of that. Yeah. Had the earliest, you know, birthday or whatever. Maybe it was just 15. That's like Cassie's age. I know. Can you imagine something like this happening to someone her age? Like, they're literal children. Like, children. Yeah. So, Shirley had attended Droichwich. I cannot say this well. I'm sure I'm saying it wrong, but Droichwich High School. And she had been working at a shop called Debenhams which I'm also probably saying wrong. There's many words I'm sure I'm saying wrong through this. She is described as a spirited young girl who was very vulnerable. She was born in Birmingham and was actually named Shirley Lloyd. And it's also said that she was known as Shirley Owen. And maybe this is because her parents had separated when she was just two years old. So I'm not sure, you know, Shirley Lloyd, Shirley Owen, um, it's just a couple of years before her disappearance in 1972 that she decides she actually wants to be called Shirley Hubbard. I'm not sure why this is, but this is how they refer to her since this is what she wanted to be called, even though her name is never legally changed. 
So Shirley Lloyd, Shirley Owen, Shirley Hubbard. And during her parents' separation, Shirley is put into a children's home to be cared for. And this is like when it often happens. It seems like the parents get separated and then the kid goes into a home. And then they're like running away from it and they get picked up or... Or they're just like, they just get kidnapped like when they're out and about. Like I think they could still live their lives, but they're living in this home. Okay. Like they would still go to high school. They'd still hang out with friends. Sometimes they're running away from it. 20 years later, after Shirley is abducted and reported missing, her remains are found buried beneath the floor of the cellar at 25 Cromwell Street. Five months later, on Friday, April 11, 1975, Juanita Mott is killed by Fred and Rose West. May writes in her book that Juanita already knew Fred from being friends with some of the lodgers in the West home. In fact, at one point, she herself had moved into the West home as a lodger, but she fell on hard times. She was unable to make the rent payment. And Fred tells her, well, if you can't pay the rent, you're just going to have to have sex with me or Rose. And she's like, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. So she moves out because she's like, Absolutely not. Yes. Smart girl. So she gathers her things and she leaves, but she stays living in the same area because she had grown up there in Gloucester. So when Fred sees Juanita out hitchhiking one day after leaving her home in Newent to travel to Gloucester, he offers her a ride and she agrees. Obviously, he had rubbed her the wrong way before, but she still knows this man, so it doesn't feel dangerous. She had no idea of the evil intent Fred had. Juanita is born in 1957, so she is just 18 years old at this time. She's described as strong-willed and outgoing, and the day after she's kidnapped, she is supposed to attend her friend's wedding, but she doesn't show. Everyone finds this pretty strange, so they just start trying to get in touch with her. And when they can't, they decide to contact the Missing Persons Bureau and the media. So they're asking for help and looking for her, but for some reason, her disappearance is never reported to the police. Oh. So I don't, I don't know if they thought you just go to this missing persons bureau or what. And like they talk to the media, but to the actual police, there's no report. So it sounds like they got a lot of people when they were hitchhiking. Yeah. People at bus stops, people hitchhiking, like, and then sometimes just like, even if they'd pick up someone who's just hitchhiking, a lot of times they would know this person just from them visiting the home. It was a lot of the time friends of lodgers they had in their home. I wonder like what the length of stay was that a lot of these lodgers stayed. I don't know about like the like room lodgers, but any girl like that was killed by them that like moved in because, you know, a couple of them move in. Like, I mean, it's literally weeks only weeks until they're killed yeah you I don't know the lodgers I'm sure were just trying to mind their own business they themselves a lot of them honestly were in sexual relationships with Fred and Rose a lot of them probably if they weren't just thought they were weird and wanted to like mind their own business like I just live here these people are weird I don't know yeah But when Juanita is kidnapped, she is raped, tortured, and murdered before being decapitated and burned in the basement of Fred and Rose's home. She's buried in the cellar, and Fred pours concrete over her grave. He ends up converting this section of the home into a bedroom for the oldest children. So at least Anne-Marie and Heather had stayed in this room. Which, A, there's multiple bodies in the cellar, but then this bedroom is directly above Juanita's grave. Oh, 
creepy. Now, three years go by where Fred and Rose do not commit any other murders. I mean, we can't be sure that they didn't though, right? But there are no known murders done by the couple from April of 1975 to May of 1978. Again, I'm not sure, like no one really knows how many people they did kill, but these are the known victims. Did it explain that, is the cellar, was it just like a basement room with a dirt floor? It's like a basement with a dirt floor and then he obviously finished it. He starts kind of building stuff, yeah. So a woman by the name of Shirley Robinson was born in Leicestershire and would later live in Germany as well as the West Midlands. She came from what is described as a broken home and by age 14 she is put into a secure home for teenagers. Eventually she starts working for the Green Lantern Cafe in 1977. This cafe is owned by Rose's dad Bill and guess who visits the cafe all the time? Fred. By this point, Fred and Bill had become closer. Remember, Rose's parents initially hate Fred. Yeah. Like, they think he's disgusting. But they do come to terms with the marriage once it's clear that they're going to be together. And they, you know, are having all these kids together. Bill comes around to the idea of Fred. So, while working here, Bill had told Shirley she could stay in the flat above the cafe. So, she moves in, but she's not loving it. Shirley and Fred end up becoming really close and she confides in him that she's really unhappy living there above the Green Lantern because Bill was always bothering her to have sex with him. She says that Bill would just come into the bathroom unannounced and start touching her. So this could be tied back to the fact that maybe Rose's dad was a sexual predator. Remember, that's sort of debated. Yeah, I was thinking he did that to Rose. Yeah, so that's kind of like a confirmation. But... Anyway, Fred takes this opportunity to be like, oh, I'm so sorry. You can actually come live at our house. We have lodgers all the time. Shirley is relieved. She's happy. She doesn't realize that Fred is even more sexually sadistic than Bill could have been. After Shirley moves into a bed set at the West home, her and Rose start into a sexual relationship. But as it usually goes, Fred also gets involved in this sexual relationship. And Fred is really into Shirley. So much so that Rose is really starting to get jealous. And when Shirley gets pregnant, Rose is pissed. She says that Shirley has to move out. She's done with the situation. But she seems kind of back and forth on things, like in her thoughts, because neighbors remember Rose telling them that Shirley was pregnant with her husband's baby. Oh. And she was like almost boasting about it. Yeah. Her neighbors are like, all right, TMI. Like, That makes us feel very odd for you. But she's like bragging about it. Eventually, though, Rose just has this full-blown resentment for Shirley because she can see that Fred and Shirley are super close. Yeah. So when she tells Fred he has to get Shirley out of the house, he fights back on this. He does not want Shirley to leave. These two are not only having sex, they're also emotionally connected. And even Shirley asked Fred at some point if he thinks Rose will ever leave so that him and her can be together. So when Shirley is murdered, she is extremely pregnant. The motive here is theorized to have been so that the threat to their marriage was removed. Was this by Rose? I don't know if it was by Rose or by Fred, but I mean, I'm sure Rose was encouraging it yeah yeah and fred seems to have actually really liked shirley but 
they have all these secrets together in their marriage. Like, they obviously could never divorce. Yeah. They could turn on each other. Yeah. So, Shirley is killed. And her body was not found restrained in any way. And that's why, like, police don't think, like, sex was the motive here. When she is found, she is extensively dismembered, though. She had several missing bones, and her unborn baby was removed from her womb, buried next to her instead. After she is killed, Rose even tries to submit a claim for a maternity benefit. She files it under Shirley's name with the social services, but she's unsuccessful. Neighbors also were clearly aware of Shirley, so when she stops coming around, they're like, where did she go? And the couple just says she decided to move closer to her dad in Germany. Now, a year and three months pass. It seems that in the beginning, the couple is killing more frequently, and then time passes more in the later years. So it's weird because normally with a killer, like you're going to see them do it more and more. But they did it really close together at first. Like, remember, their first kill and second kill are only two months apart. But now, like, a year and three months pass. And then we'll see, like, we'll eventually see, like, eight years pass and then seven years pass until they're caught. So they end up having these big gaps. But I honestly wonder, like, if it comes down to something so simple as, like, raising kids. Like, think, the more kids you have and the busy you are busier you are the less time you have yeah so in the early days of their marriage they're doing this all the time but as the years go by they literally may have just gotten you know they have too much going on in their life thank goodness so they're killing less frequently who knows so this year and three months go by and it comes to august 5th 1979 the day that 16 year old allison chambers is murdered just before her 17th birthday allison was born in germany and her family later moves to swansea by the time her teen years hit her parents are struggling with her she was rebellious and free-spirited so her parents move her into a children's home there in gloucester Again, it seems so traumatizing. It just doesn't seem like the right thing to do. But it also seems like it must have been common back then because so many of these children are being moved into children's homes. So it's just weeks before her murder that she runs away from this children's home with a plan to nanny for the Wests. She had known them through visiting friends at the Cromwell Street home. The reason she's running away is because she had previously been told she would be allowed to leave the children's home on her 17th birthday. This home was called Jordan's Brook Home. So when she finds out the home actually is not going to let her out on her own when she's 17, she decides to take matters into her own hands. So Fred and Rose bring her in as a nanny. Rose promises Allison that Fred owns this role. Cannot say role. (laughs) Guys, I took speech therapy for my R's. So rural, not, it doesn't happen easy for me. I said R's as W's. I said wabbit. Okay. So rural. Okay. Rose promises Allison that Fred owns this rural farm and that Allison can live on it one day. Rose and Allison get into a sexual relationship, and eventually this includes Fred as well. After Allison endures prolonged sexual sadistic torture, she is murdered. The West bury her in their garden just below the bathroom window. When her body is recovered, she has a belt wrapped around her head and around her jaw, and it's clamping it shut so that when she was alive, she couldn't scream. 
Allison was dismembered, and just like many of the others, she had multiple bones missing. Allison is Fred and Wes' last known murder before their final victim, their own daughter, Heather West. But Heather isn't murdered until eight years later in June of 1987. So did the couple really stop killing for eight years? And then again after Heather is killed. Because after Heather is killed, seven more years go by before the remains are found in their backyard and the couple is arrested. One girl that people do suspect could be tied to Fred and Rose is the disappearance of 15-year-old Mary Balsam. She worked at a cafe in Gloucester and disappeared in January of 1968. She was waiting to catch a bus. She was wearing a blue jacket, a white dress, and a blue bag when she goes missing. Fred's son, Stephen, does tell police later that his father did admit to killing Mary. Fred was a regular at the cafe she worked for. And years later, like just recently, there is a TV camera crew that goes to this cafe and after sticking their camera into a hole, they capture what looks to be blue material. So police did do a search for remains at this cafe, now known as a clean plate cafe, and they were focusing on six areas underneath in the cellar of this cafe. And this was more than a year and a half ago in June of 2021 when it all started and the search was getting underway. And I haven't seen any updates, so I'm not sure much came of this search. And from here, we know that Fred and Rose continue their lives until 1994 when they are arrested after coming under suspicion of Heather's disappearance. It was just two years earlier that their kids had gone into foster care after Louise told a friend that her father had raped her multiple times. If you remember, Fred just confesses to Heather's murder, hoping to stop the police from looking further into their yard and their home. Eventually, he will confess to all of the murders, but his confessions are all over the place. He's a liar, so who knows what the truth is, but we know all these women were killed by the couple because they were found buried literally in their backyard. At first, Fred wanted to protect Rose, but after they attend their first combined court hearing, he changes his tune. During that hearing, Rose was very cold to Fred. He kept staring at her, trying to get her attention, like, hey, look at me. He would not take his eyes off of her. He was actually kind of excited to see her, but she refuses to look his way. She was blaming him for this murder, so she had to appear like she hated him. He was hurt by this, and he later admits to police that Rose was far more involved than he had originally let on. Fred was 52 years old when he is arrested and Rose is 41 years old. When Rose is arrested, May had actually moved back in with her mom. She was an adult by this time and all the kids had been out of the house, right? So like May, and marie Stephen, they were all older. So they're out of the house and then the other kids got taken by foster care. But when Fred's arrested, May moves back in with Rose because she feels like she needs to be there for Rose. Again, May doesn't think her mom's connected to this till many, many decades later. So she moves back in with Rose and then Rose ends up getting arrested. May really sticks with Rose and like supports her through the trial while Anne-Marie and Stephen really took a little more kindly to their dad. Not that they thought what he did was right. They just have visited him more often. They were still very shocked. They had been abused growing up, like, but there was just something. May says in her book, It was a quote and it was very sad. It was along the lines of regardless of these horrific people they are, 
in that like this weird way they still loved their parents and wanted to be loved by them sad probably because they had never really felt love they had been abused their entire life so anyway rose never admits to their crimes and she still hasn't she has always maintained that she was innocent in all of this she was just married to a horrible man she denies murdering anyone and she tells the jury that her husband committed everything alone she completely denied to participate she even says she tried to stop one of the sexual assaults but if you knew about one of the sexual assaults rose then you knew your husband was assaulting people yet you're saying you're completely innocent yeah yeah it doesn't work that way and the circumstantial evidence was overwhelming Her daughter May, again, like I said, believed her for a very long time, and she honestly felt bad for her mom because she thought Fred was a terrible man and had left her mom behind to pay for his crimes. And what do I mean by left her behind? Well, one month before their trial was set to start in January of 1995, Fred Rose takes his own life by hanging himself. Oh my gosh. He leaves a letter behind, and it reads, quote, To Rose West, Steve, and May, I love you. We will always be in love. Most wonderful thing in my life was when I met you. So love, keep your promises to me. You know what they are. You will always be Miss West all over the world. That is important to me and you. I haven't gotten a present. All I have is my life. I will give it to you, my darling. When you are ready, come to me. I will be waiting for you. Okay. So, (laughs) a little odd. Right? Like, it almost sounds like he's giving up his life for her. Is he expecting that she's going to take her own life as well? I'm not really... Yeah. I'm not sure, but it's odd. And she doesn't because she doesn't really seem to care. Anyway, after his death, Steve does go to visit the coroners and, you know, kind of say goodbye to his dad, as does Anne-Marie. But May thought it would be a betrayal to Heather. She just could not get herself to go. Again, at this time, she thinks her dad is solely responsible for Heather's murder and that things are just being wrongfully pinned onto Rose. But when May does tell her mom about her dad's death and is able to see her after this in jail, she's very shocked at how little Rose seems to care. She thought she would be more sad than this. Even though, like... She knew Rose wasn't liking Fred that much. And again, I think a lot of it is a ploy on Rose's end to just act like she's sick of Fred. But also, as May had come into her teenage years, Rose had really attached herself to May and was like really venting to May all the time about how she was so sick of Fred and blah, 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 which I think in any marriage you could get sick of someone. So I'm sure she was getting sick of him. And again, kind of like I said earlier, the problem is if is if they get divorced, they've both murdered people with each other. And it's just, it's too complicated. So they really, it seems like they have to be together. But Rose, through May's teenage years, is telling May what a bad dude Fred is and all of this stuff. But May also mentions that even while she's using May as her confidant, Rose really doesn't let up on the physical violence towards her. So it was a very odd situation to be in because she felt like she was becoming besties with her mom, but her mom was still abusing her. Yeah. It's very sad. Rose uses who she needs in the moment, like to fulfill her needs. And that's it. She just uses people selfishly. Yeah. 
So Rose's trial is held at the Winchester Crown Court on October 3rd, 1995 with Mr. Justice Mantle and then there is a jury present. The prosecutor is Brian Levinson and he really portrays Fred and Rose as these sadistic sex murderers, which they were. He says that the bodies at the home were, quote, secrets more terrible than words can express. And he says that the last moments on earth that these victims had were as objects of depravity. Uh. Quote, when they made the mistake of letting Caroline live, they made sure they would never do that again. So the prosecution calls on some witnesses themselves. They call lodgers from the 25 Cromwell Street home. They call Rose's mom, Daisy, and her sister, Glennis. So Rose's family is testifying against her. They also call surviving victims, Anne-Marie West, Catherine Holliday, who is like a former partner of Fred and Rose, a former sexual partner of Fred and Rose. And then they also call Caroline Owens, who we talked about at the beginning of this episode, and a girl that they present as Miss A. They don't give her full name because she was sexually assaulted at age 14 by Fred and Rose, and this was back in 1977. And Miss A, when she's testifying, she says that Rose was the aggressor. Rose was the violent one. Really? But Rose's lawyer, Richard Ferguson, he tries to discredit everything in the prosecution, as they do. You know, he's fighting back, and he says that everyone who testified was exploited by motives or by grudges. And Caroline, she does admit on the stand that she received 20,000 euros for her story. Oh. And so Rose's lawyer, Richard, is trying to make it seem like Caroline just wanted to sell her story, yada, yada. But you know what? I don't blame her. Like, she went through this horrible, horrible torture. These people were out for over 20 years murdering other women. She feels this extreme guilt. Like, it's a trauma she's really never going to get through. Like, you go, girl. Sell your story for 20,000 euros. Yeah. Like, I do not blame anyone for that. Caroline also testifies to her survivor's guilt. Quote, I only want to get justice for the girls who didn't make it. I feel like it was my fault. So Rose's lawyer, Richard, he tries to say that Fred it committed at least one other murder that was a very similar to the ones in the home. And I'm not sure if he's referring to Rena, who... Again, she was found with her head taped and the tubes up her nose. So I'm assuming he's referring back to that. And he is saying that Fred did that murder alone. Um, Rose is not actually tried for Rena's murder or Anne McFall's murder. So there's 12 victims total. And Fred was charged with all of the murders. But... Rose is only charged with 10. All the women found in the home, the nine women found in the home, and then Charmaine. And then Fred is charged with all of those, plus the other two, but he takes his life, so he can't be tried for them. So I think that that Rose's lawyer is referring back to Rena's murder, as she was found very similar to the other victims. And he's saying that Rose was not involved in that murder. However, back when we talked about Rena's murder, I said, I don't I'm not sure that Rose was not involved because Rose was with Fred at that time. Rose was a part of Charmaine's murder. So what are the odds she just had no idea about Rena's murder? It would not surprise me if she was also a part of that. Yeah. But Rose's lawyer, Richard, he says that this shows 
Rose was totally unaware and that Fred was very sadistic. And he asked the jury not to be, you know, have their judgment clouded by Rose's sexual nature or her domineering manner. Now, they don't want her to testify, right? That's usually the advice. Like, they don't want the person being tried usually to testify because it doesn't always go well. While Rose wants to get up, she wants to testify on her own behalf. So she gets up. Sometimes she's tearful. Sometimes she's upbeat. Like, she's literally all over the place. She's crying when she's talking about herself as a victim she's describing her own child abuse the own rapes she went through as a child and she is crying and she says like she was just groomed into marrying a violent and domineering man which okay you know I don't necessarily disagree with because she was a child so yeah Rose was vulnerable to marrying this man but then as she grew into an adult she does make these choices to do these things And then on the flip side, you know, she's crying about herself, but she's later on describing one of the victim's grandfather's glasses. I'm not really sure what she was saying about this, but she starts like laughing. She's kind of making fun of these glasses. So the jury's seeing right through her. Like she's trying to act remorseful, but the only time she's crying is when she's feeling bad for herself. Jeez. Rose says she never even met six of the victims. She's like, no, 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 I don't know any of those people. Me and Fred lived completely separate lives. However, most other witnesses testified to that being not true. They saw Fred and Rose together all the time. As Rose continues testifying on her own behalf, she does say like she didn't have a great relationship with Heather, her daughter, right before Heather goes missing. She says she just thought her daughter was a, quote, lesbian who physically and psychologically abused her siblings. Like, I'm sorry, I don't feel bad for Rose at all. Like, she seriously uses people. That is what Rose is all about. She uses people to benefit herself. So now she's claiming, no, like the reason I wasn't close with Heather is because she's the one abusing her siblings. No, that's not true. All of the siblings have said that they were abused by their parents. The siblings themselves were very close. So then she's asked like, okay, well then why were all these different stories coming out about Heather's disappearance and even your own story kept changing? And she's like, I kept having these phone conversations and I really thought they were Heather. But you know what? A mother knows her child. And I tend to believe that Rose was behind those calls being made to the siblings. She knew that that was not Heather. Okay. Now, the defense has one more trick up their sleeve. They call a bunch of women who do claim to be attacked by a lone male who matches the description of Fred. And this was between 1966 and 1975. The defense calls seven women and they say that they recognize Fred as their attacker. There is a photo presented in the media in 1994 and all these women come forward saying they were attacked by Fred by himself. Obviously, the intention of this testimony is to show the jury that Fred is capable of doing these things without Rose, which the prosecution is like, yeah, they don't dispute it. They believe Fred could be capable of these things on his own. I mean, we've seen he has committed murders on his own without Rose. Oh, my gosh. So... Now, the final witness is a woman by the name of Janet Leach, and she's described as Fred's appropriate adult, 
I don't really understand this whole thing because he's an adult, but it's almost like a person who kind of adopted him or took him in, or maybe it's like the, a social services person that was working with him, like through all the stuff he had been going, you know, through with being accused of raping his daughter. Like maybe she was assigned to his case. I'm not really sure, but she testifies on November 7th and it's in this rebuttal to tape recordings of Fred's confession. Because remember, in the beginning, Fred was like, yeah, Rose knew nothing about any of the murders. Like she had nothing to do with it. Fred wants to save his wife. So this woman, Janet, says that the evening before his arrest, he and Rose had formed this pact where he was going to take full responsibility about the murders and say that Rose really, you know, was not involved. And Fred said Rose did murder Charmaine and Shirley Robinson, the girl she was so jealous of that Fred was very close to. So like you said, Mom, yes. Yeah. She... It sounds like she did murder Shirley. Fred had also told Janet that Rose participated in mutilation and dismemberment of Shirley. Like she was very actively involved. She wanted Shirley gone. She was happy with what they were doing to her. And it was Rose who personally removed Shirley's baby from her womb. Now, Janet does come under some heat during cross-examination because they say she lied under oath about selling her story to the national newspaper. Janet did sell her story for 100,000 euros, although she was still adamant like, yes, I sold my story, but I'm telling the truth. Yeah. So I don't know. Again, it comes back to selling stories. In the case of Caroline, like it was her story. This is what happened to her. She's a victim. Yeah. So I think she's totally free to sell her story. This Janet lady, I'm not really sure if it's her place to sell the story when she's not super involved but Fred did talk to her but could that be a motive for saying he said these things I'm not really sure but again she says that her testimony is absolutely true even though she sold her story in November of 1995 Rose is convicted of the murders after the jury returns a unanimous guilty verdict for all 10 murders saying her crimes were appalling and depraved Mr. Justice Mantle sentenced her to life in prison and emphasized that she should never be paroled. Now, her sentence goes back and forth a little bit. Like a little later, Lord Chief Justice later decides, you know, Rose will only spend 25 years in prison. But in July of 1997, the Home Secretary, Jack Straw, is like, "Mm -mm, absolutely not. She will serve a whole life tariff, meaning she will serve her time in prison until she dies. So Rose is still alive to this day. She is still serving her time in prison. And like I said, I read Mae West's book called Love As Always, Mom. And it was very interesting because Mae uses a lot of her letters written between her and Rose while Rose is in prison. Mae, kind of as this trial is going, ends up getting pregnant. She becomes a mom herself, which really makes her question kind of all the things she went through as a child because she feels this overwhelming need to protect her baby. And it just really goes to show her that she was truly very abused as a child and what they went through was not normal. So May writes her mom back and forth for years and years. Like I said, it takes her decades to finally cut off Rose and then write this book. And in the letter she sends, it's just 
absolutely astonishing. Like Rose is very, she uses May all the time. She's never really writing her a letter without ending it with like, okay, can you send me money for this? And can you send me clothes? And can you, all these things. So May kind of starts to get a little frustrated because she's trying to raise her child on her own. And she's like, I don't have all this money. I'm spending all this money to visit her. Like, and she's, as time goes on, she starts to realize that her mom is really using her. The siblings even hold a funeral for Heather after the whole trial goes or while it's going Rose is in jail and she is writing to May and still acting like she has a big say she tells May what she wants written on the headstone she tells May where she wants her buried she even tries to ask the jail to get out to attend her daughter's funeral and she writes May telling her she's so frustrated that they won't let her out for her daughter's funeral like that's so unfair and this really takes May back because she's like I of course, the jail's not going to let her out when she is in jail for the murder of her daughter. They're not going to then let her out for that daughter's funeral. And she just said it was astonishing how almost entitled her mom felt to her and all this stuff. And her mom would really play to May needing that love from someone that she never got. And she'd always be like, May, I, I have the best daughter. Like, you are the best daughter to stick by me. Like, thank you, blah, blah, blah. It was a lot. For a long time, May just couldn't take in the enormity of it all. She was furious and she was ashamed of her father, but it like almost was better for her to think her mom didn't do this. Steven clearly struggled. I think I mentioned in part two that he had some problems himself. So he attempted to take his own life in January of 2002, but he does survive. And he is jailed that same month for nine months because he had sex with a 14-year-old girl. And this is when he admits there's a little bit of my dad in me. A man who had worked with him explained Stephen as, quote, he had one of the most traumatic and distressing childhoods one can imagine, and what happened affected his emotional development. Anyone who has suffered like him has a tendency to remain emotionally less well-developed well for his age. And I don't disagree with that. Like, they, I, he was truly traumatized through his childhood. Now, when May was cr pregnant and, like, getting prepared for motherhood Rose says something to her in her letter that is shocking like Rose is trying to give her all this advice about being a mom and blah 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 which it's like really Rose the audacity right like where do you get off telling May how to be a mom when you were like the shittiest mom of all time and she tells May remember sometimes you have to be cruel to be kind yeah no I get the general basis like yes you do have to um, discipline your kids in order to help them be successful in this world um, but the way Rose was cruel was unusual it was brutal and it was far too much and it was very abusive so no Rose I don't think you really understand the concept behind that. What ends up really taking May away from her mom and opening her eyes that Rose was very self-serving is that Rose starts to get close with Mike, who was a prison chaplain, and she gets close with him and his wife, Mary. They adopted her in as like their child. They apparently believe she was innocent. So this is like bothering May. And then 
It ends up years down the road that Rose receives this money from Fred's inheritance, which seems very odd. Rose would get money when she's in prison. Like it should just go straight to his kids. But no, Rose had control over it and she starts using it against everyone. Like she's going to cut this person off if they don't visit her and if this person doesn't talk to her and blah, blah, blah. And May starts to really realize that her mom was always using her, was just using her for money, was telling her what she wanted to hear and that she really is just a selfish a-hole. So May writes a letter just cutting her mom off and telling her mom that this is not healthy for her. Um, And then May never writes her again. What's really tragic is that all these siblings who endured so much torture and pain, they were really pulled apart by their parents who were horrifying people. So Anne Marie really went off. She was, you know, not Rose's daughter. So she really became disconnected from the family. She, her and May were on very different sides through the trial. And then so were, you know, most of the daughters. There's Tara and Louise, and they really did not want to be a part of either of their parents' lives. So when May is later visiting Rose in prison, she kind of talks Tara and Louise into it. And she's really trying to bring them around a lot. And they end up having this falling out because May sends a photograph of her, Tara and Louise to her mom in prison. And Louise got very upset. I mean, remember, Louise was raped by Fred three times. She's the reason that the kids got taken out of the foster home. Her, She said that Rose had checked her like it was very violating and she didn't want her mom to have a picture of her. Tara and Louise were just more easily able to see through Rose's bullshit. And so that this created this huge falling out and they honestly lost touch for years and years. May and Tara stayed in touch and then one day May just sees Louise in a store she has her kids with her may has her kids with her and they hadn't seen each other for like a decade and may just goes up to louise and she's like this is so stupid like can we talk and eventually with this they do reconnect and they're able to build a relationship again This family she came from would affect May for the rest of her life. For decades, she lived in fear of people finding out who she was. She absolutely hated the thought of having to tell someone she was Fred and Rose West's daughter. She ends up making one friend that she does tell, and this friend is very non-judgmental, and she's really able to connect with this woman. But, you know, it's like at her daughter's school, like she's so worried and she finds herself being an introvert because she doesn't want all the other moms to be freaked out that she's the daughter of this serial killer couple. It was just traumatizing for all of them to come from that background. Again, they are so ashamed of what their parents did. So the kids in this case, along with all those who were murdered, were true victims of Fred and Rose West. So never forget Anne McFall, Catherine Rena Costello, Charmaine West, Linda Goh, Carol Ann Cooper, Lucy Partington, Therese Siegenthaler, Shirley Hubbard, Juanita Mott, Shirley Ann Robinson, Allison Chambers, and Heather West. for listening. I'm your host, Kayla Waters. I also research, write, and edit this show. Our co-host is Alicia Jenkins. Our music was created by Jaden Schultz, and our palette cleanser is given to us by Charlie Waters.
Charlie Waters, and today we are going to be talking about princesses. Do you know the princess of Princess and the Frog? Her name is Tiana. Did you know that character is based on a real person? Her name is Leah Chase. She is a legendary Newlorn chef. She owned Dookie Chase's restaurant in New Orleans. Leah Chase was born in 1923 and followed her dreams to own a restaurant. She was kitchen wizard. Bye. Have a great night. The organization I'm highlighting with this case is the Rape Crisis Center in Gloucester, England. Make sure to call their helpline at 4414-5252-6770. Again, if you need help or if you know of someone in need, please call them at 441-4525-2670.